Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right, you lot. Welcome back to the drop-in. I am pretty much nearly warm again after my trip to Boreham Woods on the weekend for the FA Cup third round. The mighty wood nearly beating league one opposition incredible stuff and i'm feeling good partly because i had on friday pretty much the most heartwarming conversation of the drop-in so far with a legend of the game neil warnock holds the record for the highest number of professional games in management english football history an astonishing 1603 but more importantly he was one of the game's most memorable and certainly larger-than-life characters, from the Battle of Bramall Lane to battles with Rafa Benitez, battles with referees, relegation battles over and over again. He's been a pretty combative figure in football and definitely not to everyone's taste. But he's also the lovely, mad old uncle of English football. I wanted to get him to reflect on all those years in the game and all the battles, but I also wanted him to rate Marcus's impersonation of him. And we also ended up doing an impromptu pep talks, which he was very wise on. It was a brilliant, brilliant conversation, and I really hope you enjoy it. Hello, Neil Warnock. Welcome to The Drop-In. Thank you so much for joining us. The pleasure. Uh, Nice to see you, Kate. How are you doing? How are you enjoying retirement? Are you truly retired, would you say? Um, well, you never say never, do you? But I, I have enjoyed the Christmas time. I've had, I've been with the kids for the first time. You know, um, it was great just having the kids around and uh, having a lazy day in my pajamas, without worrying about 
25 players, whether they're all okay with the, with the families and ready for the Boxing Day games. So it was, it was nice. So it was just sort of really refreshing, really. I'm I'm having this sort of image of you in your pajama. I'm trying to think. Are these festive pajamas that you go for? No, no, you? no, no. Very nice silk. There was a Christmas present. It was a Christmas present. So um, uh, yeah, the girl, uh, the, my, my daughter brought me. So I put them on for Christmas Day. And uh, I just love laying around on Christmas Day when I can. Uh, like I said, I haven't done it very often, but uh, it was nice. And you know, the weather's been so poor. It's been a bit depressing, hasn't it? There's so much rain around. Um, so it was it was nice to see all the family. Yeah, well, it seems as though you're turning into something of a one man entertainment band, right? Because you've been <laughs> yeah. you've got your podcast, obviously, but you've also you're doing some shows. Did you feel as though it would 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 stand up have been something that interested you if you didn't go into football? I don't think so. No, I don't think. Uh, I mean, I do like the continuity of, of the audience there, and uh, and and I've been talking about me. My life really from when I was born right up to playing and managing. And and as I'm talking and thinking of certain stories, uh, something else crops up, you know, in my mind. Another another story comes out and it just, it's amazing how many, and I've really enjoyed uh, the participation with the audience. Um, and I've been f- very fortunate that I've had full houses wherever I've been. And it, the atmosphere has been fantastic. You know, I can't tell you how, how much I've enjoyed it. And I think, then we're going to do a few more, you know, in the in in sort of in the springtime and uh, next year, next year. But I've enjoyed, Kate. I've enjoyed the podcast. I've enjoyed me Twitter. If you'd have told me twelve months ago that I would have been on Twitter, I would have said you nutcase you. Not in a million, <laughs> not in a million years. But I have enjoyed it. I've enjoyed trying to make people laugh. You know, uh, trying to be funny in certain things and and realistic. And it's amazing how many. How many young people have been listening to me? You know, the number of times I go through into town and or I go in one of the villages and the kids say, you know, you've got to die for three points, Neil, you know. <laughs> so I am I am really enjoying it. It's been quite funny. Holy fucking I'm sorry and all this bullshit. That's a load of bollocks. You've got to fucking die to get three points. If we're gonna go fucking promotion, can't I just keep fucking I'm sorry. What's it gonna be next fucking week? That's how you uh, opened your Twitter account, wasn't it, with that video? And then, of course, that's the name of the podcast as well. Do you feel so? You you kind of have you always been aware of these like cult things that you you do, or are you just you're trying to be yourself and then people engage with it? No, not really. I mean, the the, the videos that have come out, I think they are realistic. The ones of me in, in the uh, years ago when I was in in Sheffield United, etc. And the the pleasing thing for me about that is you see so many documentaries and they're really you know, they sort of not corny but tapered and you can't do this kind of well when I did my documentary at Sheffield, I said to the guy, I really trusted my cameraman and my sound man. And I said to them, I don't want to know I've got a camera and a microphone here. I want to do it as if I'm not aware of it. If I say something wrong, I, I need to be able to cut it out if it if it's really bad, you know. But I I, I don't want to cut out anything that's natural. So and the the guys that come round with me, I really felt comfortable with them. And you know the the halftime team talks and things like that now, which have really gone down well. I'm mean, even my daughter said uh, when she was at uh, university, Dad, we're using your video as a motivational one. I said, I hope they bleeped it. Have they done it? No, nope, they haven't bleeped it, darling. Did you get them to cut anything out? Is there anything that you thought? No, 
Um, there was one word I used, which I won't use now, which uh, my wife didn't like. So I should have got that cut out. But other than that, uh, no, it was it was just how it was. I heard you say somewhere else that you don't swear so much as you used to. And are you mellowing in your old age? Is that what it is? Yeah, I think when you're in a football environment, can you? You're around, you know, like I said, 20, 30 people all day, players, staff-wise. And, you, you know, effing and blinding and that is, is a natural thing in that environment. Um, and as soon as you come out, you know, I'm a nice person, really. As soon as I come out of the dressing room or what have you, and people don't understand it, you know. They're, they're expecting me to come out with a with smoke and flames coming out of my mouth, you know. Um, but I'm quite a nice guy after that. But football does get you like that. It gets you at up and, and, and industrial language is it's just prime. It's no good denying it. It's prime in, in that environment. Obviously, talking to you is exciting because you, for, amongst other things, you hold the record for the most games managed in professional English football. So we wanted to ask you about what you think are the most important traits to succeed as a manager. Is that something you've reflected on? If you had to pick three or four things that you think are absolutely key to succeeding in, in English football as a manager? I think I think from my point of view, um, man management is the most... I think I've had my success because of the way I've dealt with my players, the way I've, I've tried to make um, average players good, good players great, you know, uh, and, and, I've, and I think to get the dressing room and the promotions that I've had, you've had to, you've had to be... Um, you've had to get that dressing room behind you that's going to die for you, really. And, you know, I always look at players, do I want him in the trenches with me? Um, or, you know, I shake somebody's hand and one shook one's hand, lad's hand once and it was wet. And, oh, God, I thought I can't be having him, you know. Um, but other than that, I think I think man management, you can be the best coach in the world. Um, but if you don't handle players, if you don't get the best out of your players, you'll never succeed. And it's not just football, okay, that. It's in any walk of life, whether you run a shop, a village shop or a cafe, you've got to look after your staff. Those staff have got to want to come into work. They've got to want to work for you and give the best for you. And although, like after a game, you've probably seen one or two of my rollickings, after a game when I've had those, those times with the players and I've said my piece, I'll go out and do the press and then I'll come back in and that's gone. Everything's gone. I don't. I don't dwell on things. Whereas when I was a player, one particular manager, if I fell out with him, he would walk down the tunnel alongside you and never even say hello. You know, he'd just blank you. Didn't want to know you. If you were, we used to call. What did we used to call ourselves then? The um, the plague. We think we'd got the plague. You know, the the, the right. lads who weren't the lads who weren't in the team. We just forgot. But I have always made an effort that the lads who aren't in the team, I spend more time with. I try and talk to them more, try and give them a lift because I know at some stage I'm going to need them lads to, to come in and, and, and probably help me get over the, you know, over the line. So I think man management is the best thing. And advice for managers um, started off would be to try and get a good chairman, which is easier said than done, really. I've, I've had a few bad in, but I've, I have had a few good in. I mean, the thing you're saying about man, man management it probably sounds like quite a modern thing to people listening. If it, you know, that sounds like something you were doing that was quite innovative because the impression you get from quite a lot of footballers I've talked to from years gone by, let's say, is there was very much a sort of, uh, you know, 
you look after yourselves. We're here. It's a man's game. We're here to play football. Don't be such don't be such a pussy or whatever. So so yeah, you were you were kind of an innovative manager then when you were starting out. I think um, every manager has different things. I think some managers um, um, not talk a good game, but I think they know what they want or the, what what they'd like to do. And uh, and but I think when you go to a club, I, I, basically I only go to clubs that are struggling. Okay, I, I don't, I don't, I don't. I've never really picked a club up that's doing well. I've just gone as a, like a ready there, putting the fires out. And um, and when I've gone to clubs. You, you can't go in and say, I'm going to play this way, I'm going to play that way. You go into a club and look at what you have. You look at the strengths of the squad and the weaknesses of the squad, and you pick a system to suit that. You don't, a lot of managers go in and I'm going to do play this system or that system. You can't do that. You have to look at what you have and get mm. the best out of what you have. Um, and, and I think a lot of managers slip the puck like that. They want to appease the fans. They want to play pretty football, or they want to do this and that. So the, um, and sometimes they forget that you've got to win games as well. You know, so it's a, it's a, it's a catch twenty two really in there. Is that something you chose? Then you felt like that was your strength. When I played, um, I used to like coaching while I was playing. I used to be talking all the time. You know, rabbiting on, and, yeah. and then did the others like that? Well, they accepted it. I think, uh, you know, they accepted it. I'd always be talking, I was a winger. I'd be talking to the centre forward and I'd be talking to the full back and, and, and that. And, and then I, I liked, when I, when I became coming to the end of my career uh, as a player, I knew I was never going to get to the top. I played 300 odd games, but it's all lower down. I knew I was never going to be good enough. And, and I injured, I thought, right, I'm, I want to start managing. I want, I've looked at all these managers that I've had. I've had about 20 managers. And I wanted to get the best bits from them, from each one, and the bad bits, throw them away, and get them up in my mind, and, and take my managerial. And that's why, first of all, 1972, um, the village green at Hartlepool, the group of lads knocked on my door and said one night, you know, will you come and take us training, please? I said, well, who, who, what team is it? He said, well, we haven't got a team. We just train under Village Green. And uh, I said, right, six o'clock tomorrow night, get, get a group of you there, I'll be there. And of course, I went, and I took this group. There were about, there must have been about 14 lads. They were only supposed to be six, but there were 14 lads. And I took them as if it was a professional session. And all the stretchers, all this, all that sprints, and then we had the game. And I really enjoyed it. And I started taking these group and we went to the, we entered the league the next season. And I never forget, we did a set piece corner kick and scored in one of the games. And I'm like, you, you won't have seen the film Kez, I don't think, but, uh, this Brian, he had a whistle around his neck and he was a coach, you know, and I just felt like him. I run down the line and I five, some of the players and I really enjoyed that. So I, I thought then. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to have a go at this. And then at the end of my career, I ended up getting, uh, you know, my first job was at Gainsborough Trinity, but I did a Sunday league team as well. And in the Sunday league team, I used to take 50 pence subs off them. And I used to put the money in for the electric meter that we trained. We had one light training. I used to take all the kits after the game down to the laundrette. Uh, and what I did with the Sunday league is I treat them like a proper team. They had to report at 10 o'clock. If they didn't report at 10 o'clock, they didn't play. Um, and then 
they had to put the socks and the shirts the right way after the game. Because now, even now, you get some pro just throw it on the floor, they let the kit man pick it up. I think that's disrespectful. So I used to say, right, put your socks and shorts right way. And I used to collect that and with me and the secretary I used to take them down to the laundrette. So it were little things. I also got them a jumper each at that time, a V-neck jumper. <laughs> when we played away from home, we all went in the same. I know it sounds silly, but no, it just give it, it, it give us that the team spirit and lads wanting to play for us. Yeah. And uh, the only the only thing I would say is uh, uh, when I first started on the Sunday League, one of my best strikers. Um, quite often, the the lads used to say, "Gaffer is he's, he's not coming today," you know. And I knew he'd had a bad night Sunday morning. You know, he'd been on the tiles. And and I used to know where he lived. I used to drive round, <laughs> bang, bang on the door, and he'd come to the window and say, oh, "I'm not very good." Gaffer said, "You better get out of here now, whether you're, whether you're fit or not. Fit. Come on in here now. You play him." And I used to drag him out and get him up to the ground, and he'd sober up while he were playing. There's no better way to sober up, is there, than having a game of football? It's absolutely fine. What what you're talking about with the jumpers, though, it's like again, this is innovative because if you think about. A lot of the stuff that Gareth Southgate's been lauded for doing with England football team, you know, giving them a sense of identity, talking about uh, having everyone having their caps that are, you know, you've got your number for which number you are to play for England, for example, and having a sense of identity. I mean, this is the stuff that you were doing with your Sunday league side. I know. It was, I mean, it was just something that I wanted to do. You know, we, we entered a Sunday league competition the middle, and we ended up playing a team in Stoke, Stoke on Trent, and I was in Sheffield. And um, we went overnight. I got a sponsor to sponsor the hotel, and we went overnight. And, they, and imagine the lads in the in the the V-neck sweats and, and overnight bags. I mean, it was an of that. I mean, you know, for a Sunday league team. But that's how we did it, and and we won as well. Um, uh, of course, you did. I know, but it was a, uh, it was just trying to make them feel important, and it was good for me. I didn't realise at the time, but it, it was how I saw my career panning out. I wanted to get the best out of that group of lads on the Sunday League. And then I went to Gainsborough um, and Burton Albion and I wanted to do the best there. And, and I didn't change. I never changed really from the Sunday League to the Premier League. The, the same principles I've really used in my career. Um, trying to get the best out, making them feel important and also not forgetting about other things like the families and things like that. You know, the families are important. Your family's more important than football. Any problems, off you go. Don't worry about football, whether you're my best player or not. Um, and I think that's always come up. I think one of the lads, um, Paddy McNair, said to me when I left Middlesbrough, um, he said, Gaffer, I must tell you, I've never enjoyed getting out of bed as much in my career to come training. Oh. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it every day. And that meant a lot to me, that, you know. Second time as a manager. He took Sheffield United up in 2006. He's taken Queen's Park Rangers up five years later. It's been a long, hard season for QPR, but it's been a season in which, inspired by Adel Torat, they have led the table for most of the way. And they have got what they deserved, which is a place in the top division. Well, speaking of um, good players that you've managed, I'm sure everyone always wants to hear about Adel Tarat, but that season 
the see. I mean, I've seen, I've heard so many QPR fans talk about that season when you guys went up, what twenty eleven, um, and the player that he was, and I suspect or I I imagine what what sort of man management uh, approach did you use with him? An unusual one. It was the, that's the first time I've ever I've ever took a player like Adele Tarab under my wing and give a chance to it. I've always had players, uh, players who played for me were always eight, seven, eight out of 10. I knew what they were doing day in, day out, matching, match out. And, and together we could do things. But with Adele, it was just something that happened to me that never happened before. I, I, my first training session with him, they had a, he'd been bombed out. He'd been put into the kids and told he could leave. He was on loan, I think, from Tottenham. And he'd been bombed out. And um, we had a practice game. And it was a red-hot day, and Adele had black gloves on, on a red-hot day. So I thought, oh. Anyway, this guy, one of the coaches inside of me was saying, uh, well, he's that, so because I didn't know the names of some of them. That's him, that's Akash Busaki, that's so-and-so, and, and that's Adele. I said, who's the lad with the gloves on? Oh, you don't <laughs> want to know. You don't want to know him, Gaffer. What? He, he'll get you the sack. He'll get you the sack. I said, what do you mean again? He said, he'll get you the sack, Gaffer. He's a Moroccan lad. He doesn't give a damn. He said, he just does anything he wants. He'll get you the sack. And yeah, I watched him in this game. And he did three or four things. And I thought, wow, I've not seen all that. So I just had a hunch. We'd got 11, 12 games to go. And we couldn't score a goal. And we were nearly relegation area. And I thought, right, I'm going to go with him in my own mind after the game. So I called him over. I said, Adele, you know, nice to see you. And I introduced myself. I said, they tell me you get me the sack. He went to Putnam. I said, everybody says you get me the sack. No, 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 I know I'll get you the sack. I said, well, you know, on Saturday, we play West Bromwich Albion. I talk top of the league, Adele. Yes, sir. And he's been bombed down and not played. I said, I'm going to play you on Saturday. <laughs> and you know, if you're shite, I'm going to play you again the next game. And if you're shite, I'm going to play you the next game. Do you understand? And he's thinking, if I'm shite, I'm going to play. Uh, uh, and I didn't quite grasp it. I said, do you understand? On, Sat on, on Saturday, we play West Brom. You will be my main man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I said, and uh, I, I look after you. You look after me. So that's how we got on board. And we, we beat West Brom top of the league first game. And he was very, very good. And so I had to adjust the way I was. Um, the, uh, also, he would get the ball off the defenders and lose it. And, you know, he cost you a goal. Or something. That's what he did before I came. So I banned him from getting the ball in his own half. And I find, threatened to find lads like Clint Hill and, and, and Derry, Sean Derry, the season after when I'd signed them. If they passed to him in our half, I'd find him. <laughs> so we somehow between us, we got him on the ball where we wanted him on the ball. And he, he was just amazing season. Even last week, I did the um, QPR Sheffield United game for Sky. And um, both sets of fans were really good for me. They were emotional. And everybody that I talked to, QPR, what about Adele? How's Adele? Can you believe, you know, everybody remembers that season. Fabulous season. And they were lovely, lovely atmosphere. Just right for me as a manager. Loftus Road, like Crystal Palace, really atmospheric and, and a manager right on top of the fans. 
And I, I, I love that as a, as a manager. Do you, we had a few questions in from listeners. Um, Matt asked who the best pro is you've ever worked with, not player pro. Yeah, that, that's difficult, because that, I've had so many, really. I mean, early doors, you might not have heard him, but I, I signed a young lad from when I was at Scarborough, my first job in the league, and uh, I signed a bank clerk from Scarborough called Craig Short, who ended up playing for Everton and, and lost County the top flight for me as well. But he was a very, very good professional. Uh, and there's been some good ones. Uh, Rob Page, who's currently a Wales manager, he was a very good professional uh, at Sheffield United. A limited player, but gave everything, organised, and I'm not surprised to see him doing well. So, you know, it, it's a, it, it, there's usually one or two. Gunnarsson, uh, Cardiff was excellent, and the other Icelandic lad, Haider uh, Helgerson at, at QPR, he was another fabulous professional. So he was, he, you know, I've had some really good ones. I've been very lucky. Could you say, so you've managed 16 clubs. Could you, would you pick your favourite child amongst those? I guess it would be Sheffield United. No, it would be because of, because as a kid, I was a short trouser, in short trousers. My dad was a steel worker. And we used to, on a Saturday afternoon, he came home at two o'clock. Then we had to run down to get a, a bus down the, to the Sheffield. And then we had to run up about a mile to the ground and then, I used to sneak under the turnstile sometimes so we didn't pay. And uh, and then up the bank at the back of the cop and, and I'd get there just as a, the, the whistle were going to blow and my dad had tapped somebody on the back and, boy, come in. And they used to, I'll see you after the game. Don't move from the front. <laughs> and they used to pass you over the heads to the front. You can't believe it now, can you? Pass you <laughs> over the head. They'd throw you on the bloody pitch now, wouldn't they? But they pass you over the heads to the pitch. And I used to wait down there after the game. But, it was so special, Sheffield United, for me. And so to, to manage them was out of this world, really. But every club I've had really been, I've really enjoyed it. I didn't, en- I didn't enjoy my two trips into Lancashire, Bury and Oldham. They were very short spells. Uh, and I'm not surprised where they are now because it was, they were, you know, it was, it was a, it's terrible to see where they are, but it didn't, it didn't shock me at all. So you think you could see back then that Bury you felt like the cracks were there or it just it didn't yeah I mean it's, it's obviously ownership that's finished them up yeah, uh, yeah. The, the fans were okay um, uh, and somebody t- the other night said to me I got applause all around the foreground four sides Sheffield United and QPR right and they said has it ever happened to you again Neil like, has it ever happened at a ground I said no but once when I was at Bury we played Bradford City and I was a Huddersfield manager so Bradford City fans hated me <laughs> by being Huddersfield money. And we went a goal down to Bradford City and all four sides of the ground were chanting, Warnock's out, Warnock <laughs> out, and Warnock's a banker, or something similar to that. Something similar uh, to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's the only time I've had all four sides uh, really have a go at me. You said you don't want a um, minute silence when you die. You want people to chant Warnock's a wanker. No, How I many? didn't say that. One minute? Three minutes? I said that to Bristol City fans. <laughs> Not in general. <laughs> Gone a little bit viral, that. No, I, I'd, oh, like you to, I'd like you to close my eyes and smile and think about what I've done at your clubs. But Bristol City, yeah, they've got to do that because I've had some <laughs> I've had some battles with them. Have you always had such a thick skin? Yeah. You've got to do in football, haven't you? I mean, you don't like, you don't like reading. I love reading papers, mate. And you, and you don't like reading papers, you know, when you're getting stick or 
people are saying bad things about you, which sometimes aren't even true, but you can't answer them back. Um, I don't think anybody likes that. But in football, you've got to, you know, you've got to understand how things have changed since I started. You know, there were no social media. There were no phone-ins. And that's why I'd, I can't really see my record of 1,603 games. I can't see that being beaten, really, because, mm. you know, it takes you so many years to get to 1,000. And then to get to six, and that doesn't even include my cup games. You know, I did about 200 cup games, mm. 150 cup games. So, you know, it, it, I just can't see the longevity now of management because everybody wants to be successful now, yesterday, you know, and so there's no patience. Nobody really gives you time now. You, you know, when I first started, you'd say, I need, I want two or three years, hopefully, to build this in. Well, now it's two or three weeks. Might even be, might even be two or three games. So it's it, it is difficult. You've been in football for fifty four years, right? In total, as a manager and a player. This, I mean, is that the is that the biggest change for you then? How how different do you think it would be for a new player, a new pro starting out today, on their first day as a club at a club compared with you rocking up at Chesterfield in nineteen sixty seven? I think the difference is they'll probably be rocking up at a club with a new car. <laughs> uh, and and you know everything laid on a plate for him. Whereas, you know, there were no such thing like that when I when I started. We were my first wage was something like I think twelve pounds uh, in them days, which were you know nineteen sixty eight. Um, and when I said I, I'd, I'd done well, I got in the first team, and um, I'd done well. And they said to me, um, manager wants to see you. He's going to sign you. And all the lads, all the old lads said, you want to ask for 25 quid and 10 appearance, blah, blah. I will do. And I went in and this man said, sit down there, why not? And he said, uh, £12 a week, blah, blah, blah. Signed there. Just signed it. Thank you, Mr. McNamara. Oh, no. And I went out. They said, did you get it? I said, yeah, I've got everything you said, lads. Yeah. Lying so so. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Oh, another question from um, someone called Lovable Scamp asking us on uh, Instagram. <laughs> Hello, Lovable Scamp. Uh, he said, or she could be, not sure. Um, if you could have managed any club that you didn't, which would it be and why? Um, the clubs I would have liked to have managed, there's so many really. I, I, would, I love um, Portsmouth, Ipswich, um, Bristol City for all my thing. And, you know, I, I do love them. The, the three, I've always enjoyed managing them. And I always think they get behind the teams. So those three, as a as a player, um, I, I I loved Tottenham Hotspur, White Hart Lane. That was my favourite ground under floodlights. Is that you? Okay, oh, I didn't know that. That was my yeah. favourite player as a as a as a, a young man growing up and through my career. I always loved White Hart Lane. It was it was just something special driving up, and then you know the. Walking onto the pitch with the with the floodlights, it was wow. You know that was that was my special ground. Speaking of money clubs, you turned down an approach from Chelsea, didn't you? In in the nineties, yeah, um, I did yeah. Is it? I mean, you. I mean, presumably you were joking about how you didn't want to go any further south than Watford. No, I wasn't joking. No, that wasn't the main reason. Then, I mean, um, I met I met Ken Bates and and his uh, and his uh, chief exec and um. I went to the ground. The ground was falling to pieces. Um, uh, but uh, he was talking to me about what he wanted, what he wanted from me, etc. And uh, I went to to Ken's house, which is a big farm. And um, but he, he 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 went off before we'd finished negotiations. Just said, "Oh, I'll leave it to the chief exec type of thing to finish it off." As just presumed that I was going to sign, and I didn't. I didn't like that, and I thought. Now I don't like that. Um, and then I had all the players and my old chairman in Notts County pleading with me to stay and all the players saying, you know, you brought us through, please don't leave us and, and all that lot. And uh, I went back up. I, I mean, I was stuck. I th- Twice I went down to Chelsea and I was stuck in traffic for about four hours on both occasions. So that didn't help. And I thought in the end, no, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll stay. Um, so although I regret not not going to Chelsea in the fact that it was a good club, um, I, I regret more that I didn't go to Sunderland. Sunderland was was a club that um, I was offered the job, and I said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll go to Sunderland." And but a, a friend of well, a friend of mine, I played with a lad called Malcolm Crosby at Aldershot. Ah, oh, I know his daughter. I used to work there. Oh, he's a lovely man, yeah. and he he was put in temporary charge at Sunderland. Mm. And uh, Bob Murray wanted me to go and manage straight away. And I said, no, I don't want to mess about with Malcolm. Just, you know, just leave him. I'll come when you get knocked out of the FA Cup. They got to the final. <laughs> <laughs> so that, like, that too. Um, so, yeah, so the Chelsea thing. No, but after that, I didn't, I always thought, I don't want to go below Watford. That's the pitch below Watford. I thought, never, ever will I manage there. It was only Simon Jordan who did it. Because I, I had a, we had a bus stop, but a, it brought us together, as daft as it sounds. It, um, I tried to sign one. Of, I tried to sign one of his players, uh, and uh, he thought it was illegal what I was doing. 
And uh, so he come to see, he, he, he telephoned my chairman. And then when we played him down there, I had a chat with him for about 20 minutes. And I think from that, we got respect for each other. And then in the end, he come down and asked me if I'd uh, go and manage his team. And wow, I loved it. I loved uh, uh, Beckett in the training ground and getting on the train and going to Covent Garden in the afternoon I bought that many CDs I could have a shop full of CDs from Covent Garden <laughs> <laughs> give him a tenner give him a tenner you're much further down now aren't you because you what you're in near Plymouth or down on the coast I'm in the I'm in Cornwall Cornwall my god I, am. I know it's a I mean we came down here in 95 and bought a house when we were at Plymouth yeah. and uh, we I went to Torquay after Notts County I went to Torquay for about 16 17 games kept them up and I used to we used to drive over to Cornwall and have a have a look around and we we'd loved it. And when Plymouth come up, I had to, I were gonna leave at Huddersfield and I had two jobs offered me, Plymouth and Derby County. Mm. And I went to see the Derby County owner. Um but Plymouth, because we'd been in Torquay, we loved it down there, that's all Sharon and me. And we thought, right, yeah, that'll do for us. And so we bought a house in Cornwall and we've kept it ever since really. And Every pre-season, we've been bringing um, teams, the my teams, wherever I've been around the country. We've always brought them here for a week. And um, she's not a bad judge, Sharon, of, of players. So we have a barbecue, and she'll have a walk around and talk to them. And she'll tell me what her opinion is, and it's not far off, really. So it's not just it's not just team bonding. I always thought it was just like team bonding. You're great at team bonding, but actually you're vetting the players through the medium of your wife. Yeah, through the media with my wife, yeah. But also, also, you know, you get them in a, in a, you know, where we have a barbecue and things like that, and and you can t you you get a different personalities coming out when you're away from home, and it's amazing how you can you can build relationships in the team, you 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 know, and uh, you know, and, and and the quiet ones come out of the shell, and and likewise, it, it it's really good. So that was that's your main bonding thing. You you you're big into this stuff. Is there other? Is there other? I mean, Scott, one of our other listeners said uh, thinks you made lots of money from hustling your players at the bowling alley. Yeah, I did. Yeah, over at Scarborough. Um, Fully, I've been talking about that this morning. Pesky Salido was on the radio with me, and uh, he he had a. We went to Scarborough, and there was a lovely bowling alley they found there, and uh, he come back and he said, uh, "Why don't we have a Why don't we have a, a bowling competition while we're up here?" So uh, to the you know so I never said anything to anybody, so I said yeah. So we I think we shoved in either ten pounds or twenty pounds each into a kitty and and everybody played, and because we gets to the bowling alley and I pulled up in my car and got my bag out with my own bowl out and then my shoes out and my towel and went in and sh I think I shot two hundred and forty something like that. I had about eight strikes and uh, this. What's the bloody hell's going off? I said, well, you didn't ask. I mean, I used to teach football uh, for 12 months when I was about 17, 18. So it was good. And, you know, I walked away with the money and the staff had the, had a good night. So it was a, it was one of them things. It was good for morale. The lads never forgive, forgive me, but never forgot that. We want to talk, before we wrap, we want to talk about some of the more, I, we've talked already about some of your iconic things that you've done, but many of those are run-ins with referees. Um <laughs> we haven't got time for that. We've only got no. two hours, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. I mean, people presumably say a lot of the lines you've come out with back. In fact, we've talked about it already. People say a lot of the lines you've come out with back to you. Do you have any regrets about um, 
going in on on refs and things like that. Is there any are there any managers you feel like oh I was a bit harsh and I should have kept my cool or what's your view? What's your take on it these days? Not really. I mean, I think you yeah when they when they shove a microphone on televised games straight away and you 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 know you you're obviously either upset or euphoric. You it's difficult to to sort of calm down and say things. You know, um, but. I mean, the you know, referee, I've never known. I, I suppose I've been at a good time, really. When I first started, they were very, very good, the referees. You think it's got worse? Okay. God, it's the worst the worst group of referees since since I've been in the game at the moment. Um, but that, that'll that change now because Howard Webb's going to take over or he's taken over um, in January this year. And he, yeah. will, he, he was a, a referee who talked to you, who had a personality, who didn't mind a little bit of banter. Whereas the, the, Mike Riley was just been in charge, he just like a robot. Was he refereed like a robot? And they've no personality and no give and take. Whereas you've got to have a bit of common sense. My dad was a class one referee, and he, you know, he used to say common sense is the unwritten law, and and I think that'll come back into it now. I think I, you know, I thought the World Cup, I thought he was brilliant in the final, the referee. Yeah. And he he used to play the game, and um, so I was really pleased with that. And I think, you know, looking at the, uh, the uh, the Premier League games since, I think there'd be one or two good refereeing performances. So hopefully it's changing now. But having personality is, I mean, you when Mike Dean retired, didn't you say, oh, he's the kid, it's 10 years too late. Yeah, <laughs> Dead right. I would be- and he certainly went with personality, isn't he? He yeah. certainly wants to, not in the right way. Is that what you're well, saying? Mike's a little bit like, I always say he's a legend in his own mind. Uh, I think Mike Dean's a little bit like Graham Paul. <laughs> um, but he was a good referee. He, did, he didn't need to do one or two things that he did because he was a mm. good referee. Um, in the end, I'm not sure that his refereeing ability was the main priority in his life. On the World Cup, speaking of perhaps a less successful referee than the guy in the final, Mateo Lajos, you must have been watching the Argentina-Netherlands game and he gave out 17 yellow cards. What would you have What would you have done if you'd been on the touchline? I know, but... The thing is, similar to the other night, I think he was Andrew Maidley the other night, who, you know, who, who I like. But I watched him the other night, and when you book somebody for nothing really, a little bit trivial early doors, you're asking for trouble. You've got to be able to handle and give a, to give a little bit of leeway early doors. Um, because if you book something trivially, you're in trouble. I, th- I do think ex-players, young Younger players that had to finish through injury or something like that in the 20s, I think they can be educated to become referees, Me, And Shankly used to say they know the laws but not the game, you know, and, and, and they try in, in, in respect. So I hope that, I think Howard will try that. He'll try and get a few more ex-players uh, that finished early doors and, and uh, you know, I mean, the players later on in their career, they can't, they're not going to get the money refereeing that they're on in the league. Oh, the abuse. Why do you want to take it? You know, like that's the problem a bit as well. Who who really wants to be a referee? Did you, um on, on the regrets that you don't have, did you ever make up with Rafa Benitez? No, 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 no. Not in a million years. No, no, I enjoyed it. I just loved it. When he got the Everton job, I had a bottle of champagne. <laughs> get in there. I thought that'll do me. And, uh, yeah, so I, I enjoyed that. Um, no, he, I mean, I, I thought he let me down badly when he played, I think he played 15 kids at Fulham and they wouldn't have got another point. 
Um, and they, they, they were played in the Champions League final, but it was three weeks later. He could have played a decent side. And uh, so I, I, I could never forgive him for that, really. And uh, same with Sir Alex when he played a weekend side as well um, against West Ham and Tevez and all that. So it's, it's one of those things that, you know, not too bothered about Sheffield United and being little Sheffield United. But, we, you know, you just, life goes on and you've just got to get on with it. Don't mean to forgive him, does it? If you bumped into them, I guess you never would, would you? No, I think, I think I've always said to you earlier, what goes around comes around. And I watched, you know, um, when they both played weakened teams. I mean, Sir Alex rang me the next day and, and, uh, and said, Neil, we had 20 corners, we had this. I said, yeah, Alex, but when the other team, when they saw there were no Rooney, there were no gigs, there were no skulls, there were no Ferdinand in your team sheet, how do you think they felt? <laughs> uh, anyhow, um, uh, so I put my phone down on him, and uh, but I thought to myself, um, I remember going to Wembley that year with my boy, and uh, there were Chelsea were playing Man United in the cup final, and Liverpool were playing I don't know Milan or somebody like that in the Champions League final, right? And I never bet, and I'm not a gambler as such, but I rang somebody up there I knew and I asked him to put me a big bet on on Chelsea to win the FA Cup and Milan and he said why are you doing that Neil I says because it's payback time <laughs> payback time and they both lost and I won a few quid and uh, he didn't help me all together but I did enjoy those two defeats if I'm honest We've got two very important things to do um, before I let you go the first of which is because you're big um um, you're very loved on the Ramble on our pods, and uh, we one of our one of the guys who presents the show has, as I'm sure you must get a lot, has a Neil Warnock impression that he likes to dig out, and so I've got it recorded on my phone, and we wondered if you might mind rating it in terms of uh, quality and accuracy. You give one in here, give one in here. Oh, that's right. We're in London. We're in bloody London. He's a lovely lad, is the referee. Lovely lad. Shame that shame that he didn't have his specs on today. Well, I think we're better out of it, to be perfectly honest with you. That's not, that's not bad, is it? What do you reckon? Out of ten? Uh, I'd only give him six. He weren't really, you know, it was like, Eli, when, when I did my autobiography, um, they wanted to do it in a, in a, a video, not video, you know, on the, on the audio. Mm, oh, yeah, like an audio book, yeah. And they sent me a clip of, they got this guy to do it. He got a Liverpool accent. <laughs> Doing my best. I said, oh, God, I can't have that. I said, I'll come and do it myself. And I went up and did it myself. But uh, he, he's good. At, I like the early, early bits in, his, uh, in, in that. I thought that was quite good, really. The first one, I thought the end bit, the one about, well, I think the better off out of it, I thought that was his best bit. But perhaps, perhaps I've misjudged that. Six out of ten, he's going to be absolutely gutted. I can't wait to tell him. <laughs> well, if he had a bit, I think if he had a bit more time, he might have got an eight or a nine. Oh yeah, that's it. Trying to build him up. Study it and ask me again. I'll uh, I'll I'll see what he can do. Okay, we'll do that. We'll send it back to you. Um, the other thing that we want to do uh, is that we want to. There's a thing we'd like to leave you to leave our listeners with, which is we used to have this feature on on the Ramble called Pet Talks, where we would ask listeners to send in their life dilemmas. And then we would try and solve them. Now, we feel like you're a guy who's given a lot of pep talks yourself. Um, and we wanted to recruit your services. So we've got three listener dilemmas. 
And if you could just reflect on what the what the answer should be. So Rory um, has written in and he said, he, he thinks you might be a trained chiropractor. He says, I've got a really sharp pain at the bottom of my back that flares up when I wake up in the morning. How do I fix it, Neil? Uh, get up earlier and, uh, and have a walk around and do stretches. I'm not a chiropractor. I was a chiropodist. Um, so I, I'm I'm just I just do the feet, me. I'm, I'm not into the back, but there are some good chiropractors, and uh, it could probably, be about the feet, couldn't it? Yeah, it could be about your posture, but um, you know, first of all, do plenty of stretches. Get up a little bit earlier, and do plenty of stretches. Great answer, nice one, Roy. Will love that. Brady says, "Oh God, this is a bit of a dark one." Um, if you're saying goodbye to a beloved family dog. Do you get a new one to help with the loss or is it better not to get one at all? I think I've had most of that. I mean, I've had loads of dogs over my lifetime. And, um, I mean, when you lose a dog, it, you, it, it's so heartbreaking. It's unbelievable. I remember losing my golden Labrador when I was in Sheffield and I went to the van. She had to be put down and uh, he said, do you want me to, I'll, I'll take the, you know, the body and dispose of it. I said, oh, no, 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 no please put it in on the back of my car in the bag like and uh, and driving I just couldn't drive I was just cracking my eyes out but 10, 10 miles an hour everybody were hooting at me and what are you doing and I didn't give a damn uh, and took her home Dusty and buried her in the garden I don't think we'd get another one now mm-hmm. um, because we've got we've got the Shih Tzu's lovely at Monte and then once Donald leaves I think I think you know, there's other things to do as well. They are tying, but they're beautiful. They are loving. Oh, by gummer. What what people what dogs are is they're always pleased to see you. They never ask anything of you. And I I know we've we've got a lot to learn from dogs, haven't we? Really. So that's the answer, Brady. The last one is a more football related dilemma from Mike. He says, "How would you fix Everton?" <laughs> um, how would I fix Everton? I just think you've just got to. You've got to forget about ability now. You've got to forget about. You've got to be dogs of war now. Everton have got to do the hard bits now. They've showed that they can do it when they won. You know the Man City game away, excellent. But then they go and get beat three or four. You know it's. They've they've all got to roll the sleeves up now, and you know Frank included. You know they've got feeling sorry for themselves and and get on because it's a top club, a top club now. But sometimes you've got to get back to basics. Just win a header, win your tackle, win, you know, get on with it and it, together move. You can't be individuals when things aren't going well. You've got to get it all together and and uh, in that dressing room, it's got to be kept in there. But that's where you turn it around in that dressing room. Um, just before we started recording, um, we heard the sad, sad news about Gianluca Viali passing away. And so many people have said that, of course, a magnificent man in football, but also just a magnificent man. I wondered if you had any reflections about him. It's no age, is it, 58? And it's it's such a it's such a loss. Um, I mean, my recollection of you, not just a good player. I mean, he was a great player. But I remember when they came down to Cornwall when I was down here and uh, Rude Hullett was the manager and they stayed at St. Million Golf Club, which is just about 20 minutes from my house. And... Um, they trained, I, I spoke to them now because I knew the, some of the staff and I got them training on the local village pitch. They could use it while they were down here. They were going to play Plymouth. And um, 
I went to the, the training session and I asked if they minded if I could get some of the school kids out of the school to watch. So there was a, they were let one class of the oldest come and watch on the pitch, which is just inside of the school. And at the end of the training session, um, they're all getting off and getting the boots and going onto the bus. And Vial is there, 35, 45 minutes, signing every kid's autograph. Uh, uh, you know, this is a world-class player in a little village in Cornwall. Uh, and I, I was looking across at him, and I'd just got nothing but admiration. And, uh, um, you know, Rude Hullet was good as well, I, I have to say. I got his shirt autographed and everything, and I felt like a little kid. But the kids would never forget that, never forget that. And I just thought, you know, all the team, you know, let's get back on the bus. Not him, not Gianluca. He, he was there. every And every he made everybody, everybody feel important that he come across. And when he managed at Watford and I managed him, I, you know, just being in his presence and him listening to me as well, I could say he was taking things in. And I just, he, was, he had that aura about him really. And, you know, sadly, like Pelé just gone, they're players that, you, you know, I, I don't see, I won't see anybody like that again. And another recupero della palla, c'è il cross della zona di Vialli. E che gol! Che gol! Gianluca Vialli, incredibile! Un gol stupendo realizzato da Gianluca Vialli. Un gol incredibilmente bello. What was, was Pelé like? You man. Yeah, only he came to Sheffield briefly, that's all. And uh, But I watched him. I watched him when I was 10 years old. Uh, I watched him in the World Cup, 1958. He was 17 then, and he played for Brazil, and he was just wow. And because all I was in the road, I mean, we used to play with tennis balls in the road then, 10 years of age. And uh, and then four years later, um, I was a Sheffield Eyed fan. My sister was a Wednesday Eye, and um, Santos came to Hillsborough. Don't ask me how. They came to, obviously, trying to get some money. Uh, they, they played a few games in Europe. And uh, we went to the game and uh, on the cop at Hillsborough, you know, Sheffield Wednesday cop, full of United Arts and Wednesday Arts and everybody else. And you looked at Pele play, just to, just to be in that stadium when he played was unbelievable. And he did, he did the first thing I've ever seen it, first time I've ever seen it. They got a penalty and he did the first one where he went up, stopped, goalie dived and he just <laughs> side-footed it on his side. I've never seen that before. Neil, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for taking the time. What um, what are you up to for the next? Your stand up tour continues for the next few months. I'm gonna. It's on hold now until I'm gonna do about three or four in in the springtime, uh, around June. I'm doing Argyle, Plymouth Argyle, on the stadium. Oh. So I know I might do people. I've been. We're in talks with Accrington Stanley. Come on. Do you get nervous? No. <laughs> of course you. Do. I do a little bit. You know, like. Before games, I've always got nervous. Um, so a little bit, when you're going to walk out on your own, and I mean, I've been fortunate to have full houses, like I say, in the, in the concerts that I've had, us, whatever you call them, shows. Um, and it is when you go out, but as soon as you sit down and you start talking, I've I just been natural and I, I have enjoyed it. Lovely. Thank you so much, Neil Warnock. It's been an absolute delight to have you with us on the drop-in. Just Kate. came out of that conversation 
and found myself thinking how calling Neil one of football's great characters can slightly almost demean him, make him seem like an amusing character actor, a bit of a sideshow. But that ignores the fact that he genuinely knows English football inside out. And I hope the past hour has reflected that for you. Do keep getting in touch with your questions on Twitter at Football Ramble and tell us who else we should chat with. We've had some great suggestions already and we are digging into them as we speak. And Neil said he really appreciated all of your questions too. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at KVL Mason and I'll speak to you very soon. Take care. The Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.